Hello, my name is Zachary Lesage, and today's scripture reading comes from Luke 4, 33-41. Once he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him, without hurting him farther. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possesses. Evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. After leaving the synagogue, that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick, with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged, standing at her beside. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus, no matter what their diseases were. The touch of his hand healed everyone. Many, many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Hey Grace242, there's a band that I was introduced to in college by the name of Pedro the Lion. Pedro the Lion has a song entitled The Secret of the Easy Yoke, in which the band's frontman, a man by the name of David Bazan, wrestles with his faith. The song opens with the artist recounting his experience going to church, and suffice it to say, he's put off by the whole ordeal. Let's listen in to the first verse of the song The Secret of the Easy Yoke. I could hear the church bells ringing They pealed aloud your praise The members' faces were smiling With their hands outstretched to shake It's true they did not move me my heart was hard and tired Their perfect fire annoyed me I could not find you anywhere The theme of wrestling with faith crops up in many of Pedro the Lion's songs and sadly, David Bazan now identifies as an unbeliever. Going back to Secret of the Easy Yoke, I appreciate the lyrics because I feel like Bazan is so honest and authentic when he illustrates his distaste with his whole experience of church. There's a later line in a verse that says, the devoted were wearing bracelets to remind them why they came. And I take this as a reference to those WWJD bracelets, those What Would Jesus Do bracelets that were so popular. On an interesting side note, Jeff Johnson's company, Universal Strap, actually produced a bunch of those bracelets, so now you know who to go to when you want one of those bracelets. 
To use Bazan's own word, he is annoyed with his experience with church. Bazan is no longer a part of Pedro the Lion. He's out on his own now, but he tours, and as a regular part of his touring, David plays these small-scale living room concerts. In 2016, Bazan played a living room concert at a house in Reno, Nevada. Tim Wainer, the owner of the house, hosted a group of about 36 people who sat in Tim's living room as David, armed with his guitar, played a concert. Now, David Bazan certainly plays normal concerts in large venues as well. At Tim Wainer's house, David was captured on video explaining why he likes smaller venues as opposed to the traditional big concert venue. And David says, I like the small venues because it's more authentic, it's more relatable, it's more real. In David Bazan, I see a guy who prefers a small context as opposed to large venues. And sometimes I wonder, what if he took his concert preferences and applied them to his faith life? Sometimes I wonder if David Bazan's experience with church was more like his living room concerts as opposed to the traditional church environment that he grew up in, would he still be a believer today? If his faith experience was more like those living room concerts as opposed to those big traditional concerts, if his faith experience was more like that living room concert, would he still believe? Now rewind with me to the first century and let's look at a large concert venue in the first century versus a living room concert venue in the first century. And we're going to read Luke 4 and we'll read verses 33 to 37. Read with me. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, began shouting at Jesus, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess! Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. Jesus is in the synagogue, and as far as the triangle goes, he's in an out context with the crowds. He heals this man of demon possession, and verse 36 tells us that the crowds were amazed at the miracle that he performed. And word spreads to, about Jesus to that region. The scene then transitions from the synagogue to the home of Simon Peter. Jesus is transitioning from the out corner of the triangle to the in corner of the triangle. And let's read Luke chapter 4, and we'll read verses 38 to 41. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her, and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God! But because they knew he was the Messiah, Jesus rebuked them and refused to let them speak. We might say that Jesus is transitioning from a large concert venue in the synagogue in Capernaum to a living room concert in Simon Peter's family, Oikos. This transition from an out space to an in space is a pattern that we see in Luke's writings. We might wonder why Jesus transitioned from a synagogue to Peter's home when he seemed to find so much success in the synagogue in Capernaum. However, zooming out to Luke's entire work of Luke-Acts reveals a pattern, and that pattern shows that Jesus often encountered opposition in the synagogue, conversely, 
There was openness whenever Jesus would go into a home. For example, in the former half of chapter 4 in Luke, Jesus is rejected in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. He opens the scroll of Isaiah, he reads it interpreting himself as the fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah, and the crowd gets so mad that Jesus dare call himself the Messiah that they almost give him the heretic treatment by pushing him off a cliff. And the Bible says Jesus walked through them and his life was spared that day, all part of God's plan of course. Furthermore, in Luke 6, where we find Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath, he heals a man with a deformed hand. And this healing that Jesus did on the Sabbath, knowing their hearts, provokes all this outrage on behalf of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Paul follows the same pattern in Acts. In Acts 18, Paul preaches in the synagogue at Corinth, only to be opposed and insulted. Driven out of the synagogue, Paul goes into the home of a believer named Titius Hustus. Paul finds an oikos of peace in Titius Hustus' home, where even the synagogue leader comes to faith. Luke's larger pattern is that Jesus and Paul find more ministry success in an oikos of peace than in the synagogue. Back to Capernaum, Jesus moves from the synagogue to Simon Peter's family oikos. In the synagogue, the crowds were amazed, but in the home, Peter's mother-in-law emphasizes that this is an oikos of peace to Jesus by serving him. Remember, people of peace serve you. Here's what commentator Joel Green says about this moment. Peter's mother-in-law's response is not one of wonder, as was the case with the synagogue congregation, but it is one of hospitality and gratitude. Green goes on to say that Luke regards this as an authentic, positive response to Jesus' salvific ministry. Notice the contrast between the amazement of the crowds in the synagogue and the response of faith and service on the part of Peter's mother-in-law. Archaeological excavations of modern-day Capernaum have uncovered what is believed to be the house of Simon Peter. Peter's house stands only 84 feet from the synagogue, so you can imagine Jesus leaving the synagogue and walking immediately to Peter's family Oikos. The ruins of Peter's Oikos lie under a church called Church of St. Peter's House. Built by the Roman Catholics in the late 1980s, the church has a glass floor through which observers can see the ruins of Peter's house. Now here's an interesting nugget. Archaeologists have determined that the function of Peter's oikos underwent a dramatic change in the years after Jesus' death. The house's main room was remodeled into a central hall. They've discovered graffiti on the wall of that main room with messages like, Lord Jesus, help thy servant, and Christ have mercy. All this to say that Peter's oikos became a church. Peter's oikos became the first house church, as it were. Back to the text in Luke. What does Jesus do with this oikos of peace? What does Jesus do with this first house church? He opens the doors to the community. Let's look at verse 40. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one. Let's put this all together. Jesus has gone from an out space in the synagogue to the in space of an oikos of peace where Jesus then leverages the courtyard of that oikos for out ministry to the village. We might say that Jesus goes in to go out. Jesus uses an oikos of peace as a base, a ministry hub, from which he reaches out to the wider community. One of the questions that's always nagged at me during my time here at Grace 242 is, what's our neighborhood? What's our geographic center? If there's a 
geographical community that we should be reaching out to, then which one is it? And I always had a hard time answering that question because we're all over the place. <laughs> I mean, we are represented largely by three different counties. We have Ozaukee County, we have Washington County, we have Milwaukee County, we're everywhere. It's kind of hard to nail us down in that sense. Ever since we went into house churches, I think the neighborhood question has been answered. What are our neighborhoods? Our neighborhoods are wherever we live. Our neighborhoods are wherever we gather for worship. Our neighborhoods are whomever's in our circle of influence. We reach out to those around us where we live. We reach out to those around us where we gather for worship. We reach out to those who are in our circles of influence. I was talking to my friend Chad Wensink about what's happening here at Grace 242 lately. And in the context of he and I talking about house churches, we got to talking about the term oikos. And, and that's when Chad told me that he had a seminary professor who said that the term oikos indeed refers to house and home. But the term oikos is also broad enough to include those who are within one's own circle of influence. So when we say we reach out to our neighborhoods, this includes both our geographic neighborhoods, but also those who are within our circles of influence. Permit me a moment just to celebrate some of the stuff I've seen that's been already happening here in our midst lately. I've seen some of our house churches invite people on their blocks into house church worship. I've seen some of our people invite friends and people who are within their own circles of influence into house church worship. I've heard people in our house churches brainstorm ideas like serving their neighborhood by doing an act of service in their neighborhood for house church worship one morning. Instead of gathering like they usually do, they would go into their neighborhood and do an act of service. Maybe mow somebody's lawn or clean up a yard of an elderly person who needs help or something like that. People have talked about opening up their garages, putting out tables and putting donuts and coffee on those tables and just inviting the block. Some neighbors have taken notice of our house church worship services and our people have used this as an opportunity to invite those people into house church worship. There's a short, simple, and highly impactful book called Surprise the World by author Mike Frost. The book takes readers through five practices for living on mission. What I love is that each habit is super simple. One of the habits is to simply eat a meal together. Some of our people here at Grace have been already putting this into practice. They started by hosting a meal in an oikos of peace, and they invited in-space people. They invited sure bets to come. They invited people who were close to them. And now they're looking outward and they're wondering, who can I invite that's in my circle of influence that's not in this room yet? Another one of the missional habits in Surprise the World is blessing someone. This can be words of affirmation in a text or sending someone a card or maybe giving someone a gift. These are simple acts of service that brighten someone's day. And I've heard from a few of you as my family's visited the different house churches, I've heard you say things like, you know, there's this person at work who I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to reach out to, or this person on my team who I feel led to, and I, I should probably have a conversation with them, or I feel like I ought to build a relationship with this certain person. And, and my response to all that is, follow that Holy Spirit prompt. Don't ignore that. Bless that person. Send them a card. Give them a gift. Text them some words of affirmation. Buy them a coffee. Invite them to a meal or invite them to house church worship if it's gotten to that point. And who knows, maybe they'll turn into a person of peace to you. Here's what I've found. If you pray for a person of peace, God will answer that prayer. God does not let the prayer for a person of peace go unanswered. Think about this. If you ask the Lord, God, 
Give me a person of peace in whom I can reproduce my life of following you. You think that the Lord's response to that is going to be, no, or wait a little bit. <laughs> of course not. You're asking the Lord to do his mission. Of course he's going to answer that prayer. He wants to answer that prayer. And here's another reality, is that while you are praying for a person of peace, the Holy Spirit, at the same time that you're praying that prayer, is already preparing the heart of that person of peace to receive what you have to give. It happens concurrently. You're praying for a person of peace, and the Holy Spirit, meanwhile, is preparing the heart of that person to receive it. The Holy Spirit will answer your prayer when you ask the Lord to do his mission. When you ask for a person of peace, the Lord will answer that prayer. But here's the thing. When you pray that prayer, the Lord will answer it, which means you need to stand ready to take the Holy Spirit up on it when he acts. When the Holy Spirit gives you someone, you have to then take the risk of taking that step. You have to be ready to follow up. That's the scary and difficult part. You have to be ready to be obedient when the Lord does answer your prayer. David Bazan prefers living room concerts to the big traditional concert venue. And both Jesus and Paul saw more ministry fruit in oikoses of peace than they did in the synagogues. I wonder, would David Bazan believe if his experience of church was more like those living room concerts that he plays? I like to think about inviting someone to church as we've traditionally known it versus inviting them to a living room inviting them to house church worship. Sometimes I think, how much less threatening is it to somebody to invite them to your living room as opposed to inviting them to some big church building? I also think about how you can attend a traditional church service and remain entirely anonymous if you want to, right? Pretty easy to slip in, sit in the back, slip out, and sadly, there's many stories of people visiting a church where they're not even engaged by anyone who's already at that church. It's pretty easy to slip in and slip out and be anonymous, or come in, be ignored, and remain anonymous. Conversely, an invitation to a living room, or to meals, or to donuts and coffee in a garage, is an invitation to being known. It's an invitation to belonging. This is one of the reasons why we take the time for sharing in every house church worship, because belonging is critical. An invitation to house church worship is an invitation to belonging. As you discuss in your house churches, talk about how maybe our decentralized nature as a church plays to our advantage when we think about reaching out to our neighborhoods. Also talk about who is in your neighborhood. Who is someone the Holy Spirit might be putting on your heart to reach out to? And then also take some time to brainstorm ideas of how your house church might reach out to your neighborhoods. Remember, neighborhoods are both geographical, but also in our circles of influence. So talk about reaching out to your neighborhoods. Jesus went in to Peter's family oikos to then reach out to the village. And I think that our decentralized nature as a church provides Grace 242 with loads of opportunity to reach out to our neighborhoods, our blocks, and our spheres of influence. Love you, Grace 242. See you next time.